This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is five minutes past nine o'clock. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, seventh day of June 2021. A, a busy, busy weekend, lots to talk about. And let's start with what everybody is talking about right now in Major League Baseball. No, no it's not who's in first place. It's what's potentially going on with pitchers cheating. Um, the, the consensus is is that there is widespread cheating going on. Now, we don't have any evidence to that effect yet, but Major League Baseball um, has a plan, and they are in the process of finalizing it, and it is going to be very, very interesting for instance, some of the highlights of it are that umpires are going to randomly check pitchers for substances during games. Um, you know, it could be when they're on the mound, but a lot of it, uh, there's talk that they'll be checking pitchers as they are leaving the mound to go back to the dugout. Uh, and by the way, it's not just pitchers. They have the ability to check infielders as well to see if they're helping pitchers doctor up the baseball. Yeah, Jerry Remy, who was uh, with the, is one of the Red Sox uh, color commentators, uh, made a comment once when he was playing, and I can't remember who he said the pitcher was, but there was one pitcher when I think when he was with the Angels, and I don't believe it was Nolan Ryan, but there was somebody when he was with the Angels that wanted him to cut the baseball. So he would like have a... Uh, uh, his belt buckle would be like extra sharp. And he, there were times that he would cut the baseball. So, uh, you know, I guess it's possible that the fielders could have try to, you know, sneak it and help the, uh, the pitchers out as well. So they're going to be checking pitchers and fielding players. If you get caught, you're going to get suspended 10 days without pay. Now, for a starter, that means you're missing two starts. Now, the other question is, is, and we don't know this, but what is, is there going to be an escalating thing? If you get caught the first time, maybe it's 10 days. What happens if you get caught a second time or a third time? Um, don't know that yet. We're waiting. You know, this is just the stuff that has kind of been reported. Nothing, nothing official has come out yet. But, you know, Trevor Bauer was uh, recently investigated for the, the chance that he might have done it. Uh, remember Giovanni Gallegos? We talked about that last week. Uh, he had to change his hat because uh, Joe West thought there might have been something on the hat. Um, and here was an interesting comment yesterday. It, it, ahead of the start of a series with these two teams, by the way, 
if you're you're Josh Donaldson, this might not have been the smartest thing he ever did. But Josh Donaldson was quoted yesterday uh, as saying, uh, talking about Garrett Cole. And if you remember his last time out, Garrett Cole got roughed up. I think he gave up five runs in five innings. So yesterday, Josh Donaldson says, uh, is it a coincidence that Garrett Cole's spin rate numbers went down after four minor leaguers got suspended for 10 games? Is that possible? I don't know. Maybe. At the same time with this situation, they've let guys do it, which is true. I mean, they've turned a blind eye to it. Uh, but now, And there are numbers to back this up, by the way, as far as Garrett Cole goes. On his start on Thursday, his spin rate was down on all his pitches, but most notably on his fastball, it was down 125 RPM. Now, could it have just been that he didn't have his best stuff that day? You know, yes. But it also is plausible if you look at it, that, you know, when the news came down last week, it's plausible now that pitchers realize that this is going to happen, they're trying to get ahead of it, and they are going to stop cheating. And now what will be interesting is, let's say they start cracking down on this. The guys that are now your elite pitchers in Major League Baseball, do they remain your elite pitchers, or do we find out that these guys that have been putting up ridiculous numbers have been cheating to do it? Now, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, but Trevor Bauer talked about how, uh, you know, he thought guys were cheating all over the place. And, you know, but then all of a sudden his spin rate goes through the roof. So, you know, we don't know. But again, my question is, all right, so if they catch a pitcher doing this, it's 10 games without pay. What are they going to do when you get caught a second time? Because there will be some bullet head out there that will get caught a second time. There's no doubt. Uh, if they think they can get away with it, they'll do it. Look, Gaylord Perry did it with, uh, you know, spitballs for years. You know, Phil Necro did it for years. So, uh, you know, we know that there's cheating that has gone on in baseball for years. But this, according to everybody else, they think this is kind of like the next steroid scandal. I don't know if it's that bad. Um, now, on the other side of this, Dave Martinez, the manager of the Washington Nationals is not a fan of what Major League Baseball is doing and doesn't think that Major League Baseball should be cracking down on this. He said, look, you know, it's hot. Guys are sweaty. You know, they're throwing 97, 98, 99 miles an hour. And somebody's going to get hurt because the ball's going to slip out of their hands if they don't have this, you know, chance to, to get a better grip on the baseball. Now, they have a rosin bag on the mound, and it's, it is perfectly legal to pick up the rosin bag, put rosin on your hand to stop the sweating. There's a big difference between picking up a rosin bag and putting something on the baseball itself. Uh, folks, the last time I checked, it's been getting 90 degrees in this, uh, plus degrees and humid in this country for as long as baseball has been going on. So, you know, to, for Dave Martinez of the Nationals to say, well, you know, guys are going to get hurt because their hands are slippery. They, look, this has been a, a situation for as long as baseball's been here. Guys have figured it out. The problem that you have now is that we do have guys throwing harder, and I get that. Not only are they throwing harder, they're putting out max effort, 
and they don't know where the ball's going half the time. So maybe what we're going to find is if they can't use the sticky stuff and we're so worried about control, maybe instead of guys trying to give max effort, they're going out there and throwing the ball, but maybe they're not going out there and trying to throw it through a brick wall and trying to get a little bit more control over the baseball instead of just throwing flat-out gas as hard as I can throw it. In other words, maybe they're going to pitch a little bit instead of just throw. You know, that's what we have going on now. So, you know, so I'm not buying Dave Martinez's argument. You know, and a friend of mine, we were we had a discussion this weekend about what is going on in baseball right now as far as you know batting averages are down on base percentage is down slugging percentage is down you know strikeouts are through the roof you know what can be done well this is step number one and that is to eliminate the pitchers cheating if they are if it's as widespread as as people think it is and MLB cracks down on this and most guys say okay it's not worth it I'm not going to get caught you know, because then you get labeled as a cheater for the rest of your life if you get caught. So maybe they're just going to say, all right, I'll just have to figure it out without the sticky stuff. Great, if that's the case. Now, if that's not as wide a problem as they think it is and they still want to do something about baseball, well, then we start need to doing something about the shift. You know, whether it's uh, you got to have a one foot, you know, a guy on uh, two guys on either side of second base. You know, maybe you start that way. But the better the better thing might be not only do you have to be on either side of second base, but you also can't be playing shallow right field. Like if you're shifting against a lefty, they have a fourth outfielder essentially, like in softball. You know, they got a guy playing, you know, thirty feet onto the grass. Maybe they can't do that anymore. You know, and then maybe the most radical thing would be moving the mound back. But maybe they do it in the step by step process. Maybe just cracking down on the uh, the foreign substances on the baseball, if it is indeed as big a problem as they say it is, maybe that is going to solve the offensive problem in Major League Baseball. And if not, then you go to step two, which might be the shifts, and then you go to step three, which might be nobody, can, you know, you can't have uh, an infielder playing 30 feet into the outfield. You know, who knows? And then maybe the last step would be moving the mound back. You know, so it's a, a an incremental process. But right now, this game is tilted in, in the, the favor of the pitchers. And if they're cheating, well, it's, they've put a, you know, like a boulder on their side of the seesaw to make it even more uh, outrageous. So we'll see. Um, supposedly, Major League Baseball is going to be uh, uh, getting this done here uh, in the next week. And then let's see. And then let's see if Trevor Bauer all of a sudden is as invincible as he was last year. You know, let's see if Garrett Cole's spin rate going down in his last start, that 125 RPM, is a result of him no longer cheating because the minor leaguers got suspended, or if it was just a bad day. Maybe he's going to be just as dominant. You know, but, uh, you know, let's see. Uh, look, and I'm not saying Jacob deGrom's cheating, but let's see if they, they crack down on this and all of a sudden Jacob deGrom's numbers aren't what they used to be. And nobody's accused him of cheating as far as I know, by the way. So I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe the elite, quote-unquote, elite pitchers will no longer be as elite as we thought they were, and maybe all of a sudden we're going to get back and find that, you know what, some of these guys that, uh, 
you know, are the uh, the second tier. Maybe they are actually on par with some of these guys that you think are the elite pitchers because the elite guys have been cheating. I don't know, but we're going to find out. So that's number one. Uh, number two, the Red Sox game last night. Got a whole bunch of things to talk about with this. Now, number one, the fact that the Red Sox swept the Yankees in New York Considering that the Red Sox had lost prior to this series, uh, what, 11 straight games in Yankee Stadium? The fact that they swept three in the Bronx was phenomenal. The fact that two of them were come from behind wins, even more phenomenal. Um, so that, you know, they hadn't swept the Yankees in Yankee Stadium since 2011. And it was the first time they'd swept the Yankees in a series at all, I think, since 20... Did they do it in 2018? I'm trying to remember. It might have been. But, uh, no, yes, they did. They swept them in August in 20 of eight, 2018. But they hadn't swept them in Yankee Stadium in 10 years. And, of course, on Twitter yesterday, somebody uh, towards the end of the game put out a poll, Aaron Boone will be fired tonight or tomorrow. I don't think Aaron Boone's getting fired. All right, uh, but when because when you look at what some of his hitters are doing and the injuries that they've had to deal with, you know, you can you have to give him a bit of a pass. I mean, I, at least I do. Um, so a few things about this game. It looked like the Red Sox bats were going to be dead again. Uh, Domingo Herman was dominant. He allowed just three hits over five and two-thirds. The only run he gave up was on the fifth pitch of the game, and uh, Alex Verdugo took him out. But outside of that, he they didn't touch him. You know, they brought Litke in, and he got out of trouble in the sixth inning, and then they got to Litke for a couple of runs. Um, in the seventh, they tack another one on in the eighth, and it looks like the Sox are going to win this thing, and then Matt Barnes blows a save. Uh, the Barnes threw back-to-back breaking balls that were up in the zone. The second, I mean, the first one he threw, he got away with. It was a mistake, and he got away with it. The second one he put even a little bit higher than the one before that, and uh, it got lined into left field by Gleyber Torres, tying run scores, and we go to extra innings. The Red Sox win it in extras um, as they get uh, uh, a couple of runs off of Luis Sessa. So then, all right, so Matt Barnes, they now they've used Darwin's and Hernandez. He was a little shaky, walked a couple of guys, but, you know, no damage done. Adam Adovino, another great inning. He has been ridiculous. I think, uh, what, uh, like 10 or 11 straight scoreless appearances. Uh, Josh Taylor comes in and pitches a scoreless eighth inning. Josh Taylor, who all of a sudden uh, looks like a different pitcher, Strikes out two guys, including uh, pinch hitter Giancarlo Stanton. So when they go to Barnes, you're feeling pretty good about things. Barnes wasn't sharp. There's no question about it. Um, and by the way, he seemed to be relying more on his curveball yesterday. He kind of seemed in some respects to be back to his 2020 and 2019 uh, pattern of throwing too many breaking balls. He had been trusting his fastball a lot more. Now, maybe he felt he didn't have the fastball as much last night because it was his third straight appearance against the Yankees. You know, three straight days he'd pitched. 
which is something you don't see very often these days. Um, you know, although he had only thrown five pitches the night before to pick up his second save of the series, but maybe he just in the bullpen he didn't feel like he had the great fastball, but he was relying too much on the curveball and hanging him. So, you know, they tie it up. It was his second blown save of the season. People are losing their minds. Ah, I told you we need a more reliable bullpen, and told you Matt Barnes stinks. You know, okay, let's calm down. Let's understand. Let's take a look at what Matt Barnes has really done this year. Okay, so he blew a save against the Yankees, but he's made 26 appearances. All right, of those 26 appearances, 21 of them have been scoreless. That's not, you know, so it's not like that he's uh, doing it with uh, uh, smoke and mirrors. He's been dominant this year. He had struck out going into the game last night. He had struck out 45 of the 89 batters he had faced. He had struck out more than half the guys he'd faced. That's the second highest rate in Major League Baseball. He led Major League Baseball 13 appearances of at least an inning and not allowing a base runner. That led Major League Baseball. So the you people that are, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I hate Twitter, why I hate social media, because, you know, everybody just loses their minds. God almighty. So, you know, he's allowed to have one every now and then. So then we go to the 10th. And, you know, was I, you know, scared a little bit? Yeah, no question. But we go to the 10th inning, and so, of course, you have the runner starting on second base. And then Bobby Dahlbeck gets a walk off of Sessa. So you've got two on and nobody out. Um, and Carlos Mendoza ends up getting ejected because he's arguing balls and strikes. He's pissed off because of a, a, a play, um, you know, earlier. So he gets bounced. At first, everybody thought it was Marcus Timms that got ejected. Turns out it's Carlos Mendoza. So now you've got two on. And Christian Arroyo comes up, lays down a perfect sacrifice bunt, now you've got runners on second and third and one out. Immediately on social media, guys are like, I hate the bunt. You know, uh, the, you know, the stats say that you have a, a less chance of scoring when you bunt. So then Alex Verdugo comes up. They have the infield in. He grounds out to Odor. So now there's two outs, runners on second and third. Well, then Xander Bogards comes through yet again. Lines a base hit in the left center field, two-run score. And so I say to, to whoever it was that said that last night, seems like it worked out pretty well after bunting. Because if they don't bunt, and Bogarts, you know, if if they don't bunt, and Verdugo hit the ball where he did the Rodeur, Odor, it could have been at least a double play. You know, who knows? And you're not going to score two runs then when uh, – you know, Bogarts gets up, you might have scored one. And based on what happened in the bottom of the inning, we might have gone to another extra inning. So bunting worked out just fine. And this is why I hate nerds. This is why I hate analytics. Because everybody thinks that analytics is the be-all and end-all of baseball. 
We have seen more times this year now, and thank God it's about time. We've seen guys beating the shift. All of a sudden, guys are trying to hit the ball the other way. We see bunts because of this extra inning situation, and we see it work out numerous times. You know, we're seeing a return to baseball the way it used to be played, and it works. The nerd way is not the only way. So, now, having said that, <laughs> um, let's go to the bottom of the 10th inning. So, after Barnes pitches the ninth, I'm just assuming because of, you know, how he's been pitching lately that Sawamura is going to come out and pitch the 10th inning. No. Who comes out? Phillips Valdez. And my first comment was, why is Valdez in there? Did everybody else in the bullpen break their arm? You know, and now you look at his numbers coming in. He had an ERA of over four. And, you, you know, and, and now, but his walks and hits to any pitch were not bad. He does throw a lot of ground balls. He's got a, he's got a decent changeup, but not, he would not, somebody who would not have been my first choice. So I'm immediately thinking, oh, good Lord, you know, what are you doing, Cora? And then the first pitch that Valdez throws, what does he do? He hits a guy, right? He hits a guy. So, you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, good Lord, you know, here we go, you know, we're going to lose this, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I guess in a way I was acting like all the idiots on uh, – uh, you know, Twitter, but, you know, losing their minds over. But, you know, I was like, I questioned it from the beginning. So so then what happens? Uh, next guy I pitch into a double play, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, you know, uh, one of those things where um, Merry Christmas, just the way we planned it, right? And he ends up getting out of it. He gets – now Marwin Gonzalez makes an error – on a, a weekly hit ball, looked like it was going to be the last out on a ball hit by Tyler Wade. It was a little short, a slow roller to second base. Gonzalez gets to it, but Wade was going to beat it out anyway, but then he compounds it, Gonzalez does, by throwing it away by trying to make a spectacular play that he had no chance to make. Wade goes to second base, so now the tying runs on second base with D.J. LeMahieu up, and you're like, oh, good Lord. Phillips Valdez, D.J. LeMahieu doesn't sound like a good combination to me. But LeMayhew hits the ball to second base. Gonzalez sucks it up, throws it over, and ball game over. Um, Sox are unbelievable. 21 comeback wins now. 21. And they are 15-3 and three in their last 18 games against American League East opponents. The Sox are still a game behind Tampa because Tampa just, you know, just doesn't want to lose. Uh, but you know, Sox have won four in a row, tw what 13 games over 500, 10 games over 500 on the road. They are, so they're a game behind Tampa, but they are now five games ahead of Toronto and five and a half games ahead of the Yankees. <laughs> Never in my wildest dreams did I see this coming. Um, Nick Pavetta will pitch today for the Red Sox. They have a makeup game today against the Marlins, the game that was rained out um, about a week and a half ago. So they will make that up uh, today. 
and that's at I think five o'clock. And uh, so Pavetta, who's six and one with a three seven seven ERA, will get that start. Um, the Marlins won their game yesterday. They actually snapped an eight game losing streak. Pablo Lopez. Uh, who has pitched very, very well. He's allowed fewer than three runs in a game in 10 of 12 of his starts. So uh, he will pitch today against the Red Sox. And, um, you know, hopefully for the Boston it won't be a letdown because then they have the uh, Houston Astros coming in. And we know what the Astros just did to the Red Sox down in Houston. And, uh, again, the margin for error for Boston is not great. You know, with Tampa, you don't want to slip too far behind. Uh, Tampa just is, uh, you know, Nuts. They were losing yesterday's game. Tampa was one nothing to the Texas Rangers, one nothing, and then they scored uh, uh, three in the eighth and four in the ninth, and they win the game seven to one. You know, thanks to some really poor fielding um, by Kiner Falefa, for the shortstop for the Texas Rangers. He made two errors, one in the eighth, one in the ninth, that led to all the runs. So uh, it was an absolute gift uh, for Tampa yesterday but they'll take it. So I think of the uh, the seven runs scored by the Rays, uh, five of them were unearned because of the errors. So, uh, but anyway, great win for the Red Sox. Now, there was one other thing in this game before we got to take a break here, but there was one other thing in the game yesterday that drove Yankee fans nuts. And look, there is no question <laughs> that the Yankees and Yankee fans have a beef. Um, Rugnet Odor was called out on a pitch last night in the ninth inning of the game on a pitch by Matt Barnes, a breaking ball that was outside by a good six, eight inches. Wasn't near the plate, but it's called strike three. That's what led to the pitching coach getting ejected. Phil Nevin got ejected as well. It was... Not close. And so, of course, everybody starts screaming for the robot umpires. And people that I respect want robot umpires. I do not. You know, um, Matt Corey of Sox Outsider, matter of fact, we're going to try to have Matt on this week. Um, You know, here's the deal. Even if he's not called out on strikes, you don't know how the game would have changed because first base was open. So worst case scenario, uh you've got the bases loaded and you've got, uh, I can't remember who was uh, Clint Frazier coming up who has a 185 batting average. So it's not like they were going to win the game if the ump didn't blow that call. And there's no doubt that he blew the call. Okay. Um, but I don't believe in, in robot umpires and Matt will argue with me all day long. He thinks that, uh, uh, the human element is overblown. I don't. I don't. Look what we have sucked the life out of all of our sports. We're just continuing to do it with the replay and, uh, you know, it's just nuts. Look, I'm okay with the replay for whether somebody is safe or out at first base. Okay, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with replay for whether it's fair or foul but this replay now that they have where if a guy's hand comes off a second base for just an instant even though he's stolen second base clearly and his hand comes up for just an instant and they call him out just asinine you know there are there are some of the things that they uh 
use replay for that is just stupid. And there are times, and there are there are things that maybe they should use replay for that they don't. For instance, you know how many times have we seen an umpire say that a guy foul tipped the ball on strike three when the replay shows that he missed the ball by a foot? You know, but they don't replay for that. So you know, but we're sucking the life out of baseball. Do I think, like for instance, the you know we had a game, uh, a no hitter that was blown by because an umpire blew a call at first base several years ago. Do I think that should be you know correctable? Yes. Balls and strikes? No. I'm sorry. You know, these umpires are right between, you know, 90 to 97% of the time. And then with the number of pitches thrown in a game, the, the number of pitches that they miss, and the number of pitches that they miss that really matter is, is minuscule. So stop sucking the life out of the game. I'm okay with it. Again, yesterday was, it was pretty egregious. There's no question. But, you know, I grew up watching games with guys like Greg Maddox who got the benefit of the doubt all the time, you know, getting the corners. And, you know, you can say, well, that shouldn't be. Well, you know, it's part of what makes baseball so beautiful, in my opinion. And, you know, Matt and I will probably have a debate about that on the air when we get him on this week. But uh, there's no question that the, the pitch was missed. You can't, you can't argue it. I don't care what team you root for. 34 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 36 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. It's going to be a hot one here in the Northeast. Supposed to get to 95 degrees here today. Uh, my wife and I are getting uh, some visitors today. My, uh, my wife's cousin is uh, visiting from El Paso, Laura, who actually is one of the listeners to our show, so I'll have a chance to have uh, lunch with one of my listeners, which will be fun. Uh, we were going to eat outside. I don't know, boy, 95 degrees, and it's it's uh, not very pleasant out there first thing this morning, so we'll see. Uh, had great dinner last night with one of my other listeners. How about that, uh, uh, my wife's friend, Ann? You know what? If I didn't have any friends, I wonder if anybody ever w- would really listen to this show. No, nah, it's not that bad. But anyway, I had a great dinner last night at Amici's here in uh, in Middletown, and uh, so, but it's going to be a warm one. I hope you can stay cool where you are. We're going to get some relief later on in the week. Can't, I can't wait. It's wait. Look, we're still a, we're still what, uh, two weeks away from the official start of summer and it's already in the nineties. It's just not right. It's not right. All right. We're going to get back to some baseball. We've got some other news to talk about, uh, hockey tonight, the Bruins and the, uh, New York Islanders will play game five of their series. Uh, I believe it is a six thirty start or 7 o'clock start, I think, at TD Garden in Boston. Uh, Canadians won. Canadians, why I keep calling it Canadians? The Islanders won the last one and uh, uh, to tie the series up at two apiece. So a big game for the Bruins tonight. They have two of the final three games of this series at home. So uh, their chance to take care of business here. The good news out of the NHL is uh, they did receive an exemption from the Canadian health officials so that uh, U.S. teams will be allowed to travel to Canada uh, for the semifinals. So that means that the winner of the series between Colorado and Vegas will be allowed to travel to Canada to face uh, the winner of the Northern Division series between Winnipeg and Montreal, which is going to be Montreal. They're up three games to nothing in there. But By the way, what a bounce back for them. They were down three games to one to Toronto came back and won the series by winning uh, the next three games in a row, and now they have uh, won three straight from Winnipeg. Uh, but what they will do is exactly what I thought Canada would do. The U.S. teams can go there 
but they have to basically uh, go into a bubble. They're going to be quarantined uh, and they're going to be tested daily for the coronavirus. Uh, the same, basically same restrictions they had when uh, the NHL played their playoffs last year in two hub cities. Uh, they're going to have designated hotels, no interaction with the public. You know, the Canadian border is still closed. I mean, I think they said it's only like uh, six or seven percent of the Canadian population has been uh, vaccinated. And by the way, I say to the Canadians, shame on you. I mean, I don't understand that. I, I just don't. You know, it's kind of like Japan for the Olympics where their, you know, percentage of their vaccinations in their public is in single digits. They're trying to make a last minute push to get everybody vaccinated or a bunch of people vaccinated before the Olympics. But that's like closing the barn door after the heart, the horse got out. So I don't get it. But anyway, so good news for the NHL that at least uh, the Canadian team that comes out of that Northern Division will be allowed to keep their uh, home ice advantage because otherwise they were going to have to come down and play on a neutral site for their home games in the United States. So uh, I'm glad that they were able to do that. As far as the baseball team, the Toronto Blue Jays goes, uh, Mark Shapiro, the GM, had issued, you know, had issued a statement and said that they had hoped they'd be able to return to Canada. Uh, there is no indication that that's close. My guess is if they get back to play at the Rogers Center at all, they'll be lucky if it's September. But my guess is they won't play there at all this year. You know, numbers are dropping like rocks here in the United States. They said the numbers are down like 30 or 35 percent. In the state of Connecticut, our positivity rate on tests is like under 1 percent. You know, in New England, uh, almost 65 percent of the new England population has been vaccinated, you know, so we're, I'm in the best place I could be. Um, so, you know, so I, I, if, but if I'm the blue Jays, I think I'm preparing for the long haul and we're going to finish out our, uh, our season this year in Buffalo. Uh, some news out of the NFL, a huge trade yesterday. Uh, the Tennessee Titans have acquired seven time pro bowl receiver, Julio Jones, from the Atlanta Falcons. And to me, they stole him from the Atlanta Falcons. Why is that? Because the Titans didn't even have to give up a first-round pick. Now, I know, you know, that Jones has a little mileage. There's no question about that. But this is a guy who has 848 career receptions. He's the Atlanta record holder. He has almost 13,000 receiving yards. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, he, at one time he had six straight seasons with more than 1,300 yards. He's averaging 96 yards a game in receiving. You know, so again, I mean, I know he's been in the league for a while, but he is still an elite receiver. And now you put him alongside Tennessee's own Pro Bowl receiver, A.J. Brown? Oh, my goodness. Look, this this is a Titans team that already had one of the best offenses in the NFL. And now you add him, you add Jones to that offense? Oh, it's like Christmas. I mean, and look... Now they're going to suddenly become everybody's trendy pick to you know knock off the Kansas City Chiefs and you know make it to the Super Bowl. I don't know whether they're there or not, but it certainly has uh, closed the gap a little bit. You know they lost Corey Davis, 
and Janu Smith to free agency in March. So this makes up for that. Now, they ranked fourth in scoring last year. So basically what they've done is they filled the hole left by Corey Davis. So I don't know if it moves the needle that much. But it is certainly a huge signing, and there were a lot of teams uh, that wanted him. But, the, 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 again, the surprise thing to me is that they didn't have to give up a first-round pick because the word was that's what the Falcons wanted. And, you know, maybe it was as they shopped around, they found out that they couldn't get that and they took the best deal they could get. So they get a second-rounder next year uh, and a fourth-rounder in 2023. And that's what they got for one of the best receivers, a guy that is going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame when he retires. I mean, he is already 20th in receiving yards in history. And he's fourth all-time uh, for 100-yard receiving games. The only guys that in, in NFL history that have had more 100-yard receiving games than Julio Jones are Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, and Marvin Harrison. It's a pretty good company. Uh, so... Um, you know, I, look, the Titans have had uh, a great run. Five straight winning seasons. Only Seattle and Kansas City have had more. Uh, they lost to KC, of course, if you remember, in the AFC Championship game in 2019. Uh, again, I, I, great, great, great trade. But I don't know if it moves the needle as much as people want to think it does, simply because they lost two big pieces in Corey Davis and Janu Smith. So I think it kind of puts them back to where they were before. I don't think it makes up. I don't think it improves them that much. Definitely a great signing, but I think uh, people need to calm down a little bit. I don't, this, this does not turn them into the Kansas city chiefs. If for no other reason, then your quarterback is Ryan Tannehill, who's fine, but he's no Patrick Mahomes. Um, Patrick Cantley won the Memorial tournament in Ohio. Jack Nicholas's tournament. Uh, yesterday in a playoff, a par putt on the uh, uh, first extra hole. And it's the second time in three years that Cantley has won it, which is great, good for him. But, of course, all everybody wants to talk about is the fact that Cantley should not have even been in that position. John Rahm from Spain was lapping the field. He was killing him. He was 18 under through three rounds. He tied the tournament record for uh, 54 holes. He tied t uh, Tiger Woods, a prime Tiger Woods, 18 under 198 after three rounds. All right. Uh, and the six shot lead he had tied Tiger Woods. And all that went away with one phone call. He found out right after he walked off the 18th green after his third round that he had tested positive for the coronavirus and had to withdraw from the tournament. Now he had been uh, in contact with somebody who had tested positive. So he had been in their contact tracing program. So he had to take tests every day starting on Monday because of that. Everything had come back negative until Saturday. And he ends up having to withdraw from the tournament. He was distraught. Um, you know, and nobody saw this coming. And, you know, there's been a lot of criticism about the way it was handled, you know, uh, uh, Nick Faldo was very critical of the fact that CBS wasn't given a heads up because they saw the officials going to Rom and they saw, you know, escorting him away and they saw Rom was upset. And of course, all the folks on CBS are thinking, Jesus, did somebody in his family die or, you know, what, what happened? 
and it just turned out that he had to withdraw from the tournament. And you feel very badly for him because he was going to win this tournament. I mean, he was. I mean, it wasn't going to be close. Patrick Cantlay even said, "I was just trying to figure out how low I had to go to be in contention." You know, he thought he was going to have to go out and throw up some ridiculously low numbers just to try to be in contention. And uh, it turns out that uh, it was practically handed to him. He beats uh, Morikawa in the playoff, but uh, you got to feel badly for Rom. That's just awful. Uh, one other quick note, of course, you probably saw it by now. Serena Williams lost at the French Open. She's 40 years old. I don't know if she'll ever go back there again. She got beaten straight sets uh, by a, a woman named uh, Alina uh, Rabikina. I have no idea who she is. <laughs> All I know is this. That girl wasn't even born before Serena Williams made her tournament debut in 1998. So she lost to somebody that grew up idolizing Serena Williams. How about that? Uh, and on the same day that that happened, Roger Federer, who's also 40 years old, uh, withdrew from the tournament because, uh, and it wasn't because he lost. He withdrew because he was tired. Uh, and it sounds ridiculous, but really what it is is, look, he's recovering from an injury. Uh, and he had a, a long third-round match that didn't end until uh, nearly 1 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. And uh, he decided that he wants to, he withdrew from the tournament because he wants to be sure that he is fresh for Wimbledon. Wimbledon starts June 28th, and Federer has won Wimbledon eight times. And he knows that his chances of winning Grand Slams are just about over. If not, if the door hasn't already closed, it's pretty close. But he figures his best shot at winning another one was going to be at Wimbledon. So he withdrew uh, so that he would have a shot at Wimbledon. You know, but we are reaching a point that you know Roger Federer and Serena Williams uh, aren't going to be playing much longer. You know, and and you know, good lord, I mean, they do, they don't owe us anything. Serena Williams with 23 Grand Slams. Federer has 20. Uh, but a couple of icons coming to the end of the road at the French Open on the same day. It's 49 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 51 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Monday morning. A few minutes left. Uh, just a couple other things around Major League Baseball before we uh, hit the road today. Uh, the Mets with a, another win. They beat the Padres 6-2, to two. Marcus Stroman uh, with uh, his second straight decision win after four consecutive losses. He also had a double in the game, by the way. He's now 5-4, and four, but uh, Stroman goes 6-2 and two thirds and only gave up one run, and it was an unearned run. He did uh, have a little difficulty with walks. He walked four guys, but he struck out seven. Uh, Castro and Trevor May finished it up. Uh, uh, Chris Paddock. Uh, gives up three over six innings, and um, he is one and four in his last seven starts. Um, but uh, the Mets manage a split of that four-game series with the San Diego Padres. The Mets now standing three and a half games ahead in the National League East over the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the Braves this weekend uh, took two of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers. How about this? You beat Clayton Kershaw. And Trevor Bauer, uh, Cy Young Award winners on back-to-back -back days. Uh, they win yesterday 4-2, to both teams with uh, seven hits. Bauer lasted six, but he, again, he allowed 10 base runners, six hits, and four walks over those uh, uh, six innings. Max Freed, a great start for the Atlanta Braves. 
Uh, six innings, just one run. He struck out four, didn't walk anybody. Drops the ERA to 4.63. Got off to a rough start this year, but has pitched uh, much better lately. Will Smith picked up his 11th save of the season. So now the Braves crawl back to within one game uh, uh, under 500. They are 28-29. and 29. Uh, you know, and that's a wide open National League East. So they are certainly not out of it. A bizarre game yesterday in Philadelphia. The Phillies beat the Nationals 12 to 6, but that's almost kind of like a sidelight of this game. How about this? In the, in the eighth inning of the game, the netting behind the screen fell down. Like, I, I don't know whether one of the, the support wires broke or whatever it was, but all of a sudden the screen comes crashing down. So they have to stop the game, and it took them like 20 minutes working with a tractor to get the thing back up. And, you know, and at the point when the, the netting fell down, the game was over. I mean, the Phillies were up 12-6, and the Nationals weren't coming back. But it took they had to like bring a tractor out, and they finally got it uprighted, and uh, they were able to finish the game. But that was, that was just one of the weird things that happened in this game. Early in the game, uh, the starting pitcher for the Washington Nationals, Austin Voth, came up in the third inning and went to lay down a bunt and uh, got hit while trying to bunt and broke his nose. <laughs> so he he has to leave the game. He leaves like a, a gash on his nose, and he's bleeding all over the place. And then right after that, uh, the umpire, the home plate umpire, Brian Onora, got struck in the mass by a foul tip and was like, uh, didn't know where he was. He tried to stay in the game, and then just, you know, a few pitches later, uh, he was in the dugout, and he was out of the game. So just a weird game. Uh, as I said, the Phillies win it 12-6. Wasn't a pretty game. Uh, Voth, was, uh, Voth was actually starting in place of the injured uh, Steven Strasburg. They were going to do a bullpen game. Uh, they had to go to the bullpen a little bit sooner than they were expecting. But, again, the Phillies, with the win, there's still two games under 500, but because of the NLEs being what it is, they're only four games back. So uh, they are still in the hunt. Uh, Tony La Russa yesterday passed uh, John McGraw on the list of managerial wins. He picked up number 2,764. So he is now uh, sitting in second place for all-time manager wins. He's never getting to first place. That's held by Connie Mack. Uh, of the old Philadelphia A's who had 3,731, almost 1,000 more. Uh, I think, I want to say Mac managed for like 53 years or something like that. He was the manager, the owner, uh, the general manager, the uh, <laughs> the dictator of the A's for a long, long time. By the way, uh, Connie Mack was the last Major League Baseball manager to not wear a uniform in the dugout. He wore a suit in the dugout right up until um, he retired. And a matter of fact, they had already passed the law that said that managers had to be in uniforms. And a lot of them had already been anyway, but they passed the law that they had to be. But they grandfathered in um, Connie Mack. So he wore a, a suit and tie right up until his last day of managing. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake up t uh, call if if i don't uh, melt between now and then as uh, 
uh, as we head out into this 95-degree weather. I appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. We leave you with some music from Clint Black. This is Killing Time. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.